Blog Talk Radio. K-I-R-P When you're looking for real truth, real talk radio, make sure you log on to KIRPRadioshow.com. Sunday nights live, 8 p.m. with your host. Rocco P. You're listening to the KIRP Radio Show. I am your host. It is the last Sunday night of the month. This is Rocco P on the KIRP radio show, Keeping It Real with Pudgy. Once again, I thank Pudgy Miller for the opportunity to host his show that he has counted me worthy. Uh, Tonight, it is going to be a great show. I have a guest. Before I get to that guest and introduce him, Andrew Rappaport, wanted to give some background. Tonight, last last month, I talked about marriage. I'm not going to talk about marriage tonight. A lot more could be said in light of that Supreme Court decision I didn't anticipate would occur. But then I do want to talk about uh, the Bible. I do want to talk about spiritual things again, because when we think about uh, when we think about reality, everything in life, there's so many, there's so much help, there's so much out there in terms of self-help and advice and all. And I think uh, for me as a Christian, the basis of anything, the basis of truth, is the Bible, and that's the, our ultimate needs, our spiritual ultimately what we need is uh, to be in a right relationship with God. And in one sense, that's easier said than done because there's so many voices out there, there's so many messages, so many people saying what it means to know God, uh, you know, who God is and how we could know him. Uh, The Bible makes that, I think, relatively clear, and hopefully tonight we will make that more clear. We'll demystify the process about what all that means. When, when we talk about Christianity, a lot of people, there's two general, general broad ways people could get uh, into trouble. People go into different extremes because Christianity involves a faith relationship with God, but that faith is only as strong as the object of your faith. So what I'm saying is that if you have wrong beliefs about God, then then your faith, uh, your faith is erroneous, and that could happen. That could happen in different ways. There's different levels. Uh, that could be seen. Uh, you could experience that. So two, two broad ways Christians uh, have gotten into trouble and that the church really, people who profess faith in Christ, <clears throat> have pretty much uh, misrepresented what Christianity is. There's really two ways. <clears throat> you, could, you could overemphasize the subjective nature of faith. The subjective nature of faith. In other words, what your experience was in coming to know God and what your experience is. And the reality is everyone has to have for someone to be born again, to use use a biblical analogy from Gospel of John chapter 3, there has to be a time when you did personally meet God, when you trusted him. So one, if someone just emphasizes their personal experience, that relationship, then... Uh, that could tend that could tend to get you into really deep trouble spiritually because 
it's not grounded in any objective truth. Uh, it's, it's just it's very, very subjective then if you're just talking about what God did for you, how you feel. We're, we're, all, we're in a culture, again, you talk about substance abuse. Uh, you talk about problems with alcohol, problems with drugs. I think the prescription, the problem with prescription drugs far exceeds the problem with uh, so-called illegal drugs. But in any case, the point is we're in a culture where people obviously, there's nothing new, but I think it's extreme in the day we live. People want to feel good immediately and all the time. So when when you when you look at Christianity through that perspective as, as far as the subjective element, if it's just a matter of feeling a certain way, that's very dangerous. Okay, that's that's extremely dangerous. That tends towards mysticism, I'd say mysticism. And that's really rampant in our culture in certain uh certain professing parts of Christianity, particularly in the charismatic movement, uh, that is that's very that's very prominent. Uh people want to feel a certain way. Everything's about having a particular experience. And really is, and you know, the more extreme versions of that's really it's mysticism. It's nothing they could really explain, but it's just pure mysticism. It's not Christianity. The other end of the spectrum is if you have a really, a uh, very defined and deliberate focus on what you believe. You talk about the word doctrine, which just means teachings, and it's really you can't. The essence of Christianity is that that faith relationship relationship with God is based upon certain very specific doctrinal beliefs, and we'll get into that with Andrew soon. But the point is, if you just focus upon what those beliefs are, and that's devoid from how it affects your life, uh, that that's also very dangerous. Some people would say that that would be dead orthodoxy. Dead orthodoxy. And what's orthodoxy? When I say orthodoxy, I'm not talking about like the Greek Orthodox Church or anything like that. Orthodoxy is a word that means straight really straight teaching. What What is straight teaching? An orthodontist keeps your teeth straight, makes them straight. Orthodoxy is straight or right teaching. So those, those are the real two extremes in Christianity in general. I'm sure there's others, but to, to just boil it down, to, to simplify it, if you emphasize a feeling, if you emphasize how, how you feel with your faith, uh, that you'll gravitate towards mysticism. If everything is just what you believe and Christians have with very good reasoning if you believe the Bible is true and I certainly do I mean it's 66 books we got 39 books in the Old Testament 27 books in the New Testament and Christians throughout the centuries have organized what those doctrines are we talk about systematic theology and that's just really a way to organize what those beliefs or doctrinal truths are but if 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 your Christianity is just a matter of those beliefs if it's the void of your life and how you relate to God and how you relate to people, then that degenerates the dead orthodoxy. In our culture, once again, I think the much bigger problem we have, the greater danger, is not the dead orthodoxy because uh, there is an emphasis upon sound teaching. The emphasis is about how you feel. I think that's where we're at. It's how you feel. So we gravitate towards we're fighting different levels of mysticism in the church. When we talk about Christianity, too, in the past, if someone was going to share the gospel or the good news of salvation, it was already clear in a lot of people's minds what they believed or they had a general mindset as far as what they believed about the nature of man, what they believed about the nature of God. And there's a lot of really good gospel presentations out there. But again, thinking about where we are now in, in our culture, in this particular time and place where God has us in the United States, it, it's really it's almost counterproductive if I were to explain to you, say, okay, well, this is this is the gospel. Okay, if I start out and telling you about who Jesus is and what He did on the cross, in a very real sense, I'm doing you a disservice for this reason. You first have to understand a little bit about your nature, the nature of man, and who man is in relation to God. Uh, a, a clear, really clear central truth of Christianity is that man is inherently sinful. Okay, there, There's a verse in the Bible, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The idea of falling short, one uh, one illustration would be, would be like if you, have, if you have an arrow, and no matter, uh, you just kept on shooting, and Every time you shot, you're trying to hit a target five miles away. It doesn't matter. You'd always fall short. Uh, you, if you're standing on the east coast of the United States, you pick up a rock and you attempt to throw it over the Atlantic. 
it's always going to fall short. You're never going to hit. You're never going to hit Europe. It's, it's just it's not going to happen. So we look at ourselves before God. A key truth to understand before we talk about the nature of God, before we talk about who Christ is, before we talk about what was accomplished at the cross, we have to understand who we are and that we are sinners. I mean, we're sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. God is holy, uh, and we are not. We're intrinsically sinful. One, one great way to explain this, a little bit from the Bible, is from Exodus chapter 20. Most people are familiar with the Ten Commandments, and I'll read a few. So just think about these commandments in relationship to your life, okay? Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 23. So, so some would say, well, I don't, yeah, I don't have any idols. Yeah, there's no, I'm not bowing down before everything. But what do you give? What drives you? What do you give your focus to? What What do you really worship then? You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. With a lot of people, the name of the Lord Jesus is nothing more than a, a curse word. <laughs> it's something they say when, when they're upset or mad. Uh, go down, uh, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. In this, in our culture, again, how how do we do this? Uh, how is that manifested as far as the relationships among the family? God established a family uh, before He established civil government. So you'd say, you know, do you really do you honor your parents? How, what does that look like? You shall not murder. You may not have murdered literally, but again, Christ talked about if you harbor hatred in your heart towards someone, you've committed murder in your heart. You shall not commit adultery. Again, you may not have done it literally, but if you're harboring lust, then uh, you, you're guilty of that at some level. You shall not steal. A lot of ways. A lot of ways people could steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Any type of misrepresentation of truth involving people around you. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Well, your neighbor may not have an ox or a donkey, but if it makes you feel bad that someone has something that you don't have, then you're guilty before God. So this is all key before we talk about who Christ is and what he did that you see. All of us before God, I mean, we've fallen short. <laughs> That's uh, If you don't see your need before God, then it's really it's pointless to talk about uh, who God is, who Christ is, and what he accomplished on the cross. Our guest tonight is Andrew Rappaport. He's with Striving for Eternity Ministries. Andrew just wrote a book. I'm sure he'll talk about that, too. But, uh, see, Andrew, are you there? I am here. I am here. Good to be with you, my friend. Uh, would you like to share your testimony first about how the Lord saved you before you talk about uh, your book and your ministry? Sure, that'd be fine. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was saved out of a Jewish household. I was um, uh, both both my parents were Jewish. It was bar mitzvah the whole the whole thing, and um, basically, you know, back in uh, I'm now going to end up dating myself, but back in 1984, um, I was out <laughs> in California as a 16 year old, and uh, so guy walked into a McDonald's and shot up the place. Uh, he had killed, um, I think, 20, 21 people, injured about 19 others. Um, and uh, after that incident, we we actually just left that McDonald's like 20 minutes before he walked in. And we were on a, a teen tour. That's where Jewish parents get rid of their, you know, annoying children for the summer, send them on a trip to travel the, <laughs> travel the uh, kids, uh, travel the country. And that's what I did. And so bus driver pulled over and you know told us that this guy just uh, had done that and we ended up a couple of days later uh, up in uh San Francisco area and he started sharing the gospel over a fortune cookie have no idea what the cookie said anymore but uh I literally now, who, who is this guy uh, 
Who was he? He was the bus driver of the of the tour. His name was Chuck, and uh, <laughs> a guy with a you know he didn't he was never past the sixth grade. He dropped out of school after you know during sixth grade, and um, he had known his Bible though because what happened was is when he explained the gospel to me. I literally, it's the first time I ever heard it, and growing up Jewish, I thought of Jesus Christ as Hitler's God. I mean, that's what I was raised to believe. And so, no love for, for Christ. What ended up happening was, I said to him, literally, I said, hey, Chuck, that's great for you, but I'm God's chosen people. I'm in like Flynn, thinking that my Judaism was going to get me to heaven. And um, he, got, he, he ended up challenging me, and I said, if you can give me a logical reason to believe, I'll, I'll believe. And so... Uh-huh. Sitting on the steps of, in Chinatown uh, by a Dairy Queen, we um, he he this guy that had no education knew his Bible so well that he could go through all these Old Testament prophecies and New Testament fulfillments. And at a point, I just stopped him and said, "Hey, Chuck, this is we've gone beyond mathematical impossibility. Take take the the self fulfilling or possibly self fulfilling prophecies out." Just go to the ones that would be coincidence, and it's impossible for all these things to happen by coincidence statistically. So I didn't believe in Christ at that point. I just believed in the New Testament. I said, so what does the New Testament teach? And, and he talked about Christ and Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and, and that the resurrection proved that he was God. So I was trying to disprove the resurrection. I hadn't read Josh McDowell's Evidence Demands a Verdict, but I came up with every one of the arguments that Josh McDowell mentions for false views of the resurrection. I still have one that's still original with me. My last-ditch effort was to say, well, maybe the disciples dug a hole underneath the, the tomb and snuck the body out that way. Chuck's just like, he's <laughs> like, in three days? <laughs> yeah, well, that was, that was basically what he was saying. It's like, in three days, without heavy machinery? And I'm like, yeah. ugh. And so, really, I could not refute the resurrection. And if the resurrection was true, then that validates everything Christ said about himself. And so the very first time I ever heard the gospel, I... I received. I, I believed in Jesus Christ uh, and uh, been walking with him since. That's uh, that's awesome. I did not. Uh, I uh, if you told me that years ago, I certainly forgot. Uh, please forgive me. That, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. God uses people to reach people. I mean, that's uh, I mean that's, that's that's the bottom line. I mean, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, and that's why Christians uh, Christians are placed in. Around other people, in part. <laughs> well, you know, I tell people all the time. So many people think like, "Well, I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough." And and I think you know, I always go back to Spurgeon, a guy who memorized most of the Bible. His mother would pay him a dime to memorize a verse, and he had photographic memory, so he would just one after another memorize them. She ended up making him memorize the chapters to get the dime. And I mean, here's a guy who had most of the scripture memorized as an unbeliever, and he comes to Christ by some unknown deacon. No one knows the name of the guy. That just on a wintry night, Spurgeon couldn't make it to his church. He walks into this church with this deacon who's preaches because the pastor couldn't make it there. And that preaching is what got Spurgeon. And, and I often joke because here's a guy that could had did not get past the sixth grade as far as education, but could take a guy with 168 IQ and convince him that the, the gospel is true. So if, if people are like, oh, well, I don't know a whole lot, you don't have to know a whole lot, because it's the work of the Spirit. <laughs> you just need to be out there faithful. No, no, I mean, it's, it's true again. I said, you, you, know, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. God calls us to be faithful. And, uh, yeah, better say something if you know it's true. Uh, I agree. Some Christians are afraid. Well, someone's going to ask me a question. You know, the answer to, so be. You're not going to argue someone into the new birth. <laughs> it's not going to happen anyway. And some people think that. I mean, I know you're apologetic. Some people think that. Well, if I just if I give someone enough facts, they'll have to trust Christ. And it doesn't say it in the Bible. It's not there. Yeah, I, th- I think the words of Jesus were, you know, I, I, you know, I tell you in parables. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for the purpose that you can't understand. You know, he says, I, I, do, I tell you the truth so that you don't believe. He knew that if he tells them the truth, they weren't going to believe it. Um, because they, they have hatred in their heart for, for him. Yeah, no one, no one approaches God. Yeah, tied into what I said, no one approaches God uh, objectively in the sense that we're all, 
we're all enemies of God because we're spiritually dead. Uh, so you know we we need to understand that before we approach God. No one no one's going to approach God. Let some apologists say, well, I'm going to I'm going to uh, give some people some evidences. And I won't mention the Bible. It's like, well, it's the only thing that's going to result in their faith. <laughs> Nothing else is going to bring someone to faith. It may get their attention. Yeah. But that's not going to change them for eternity. Now, speaking of which, of eternity, striving for eternity, when did you start that ministry? Uh, well, it, it, it kind of formed over time. I mean, it really started, uh, I would say, back in about 2005 when... I first put together all the the work that's now part of the book, What Do They Believe? And I just wanted it, I put it together in a small group study and wanted a place just to put it on the Internet so people can get it for free and uh, just created the website, Striving for Eternity. Uh, then when uh, we would do these events like we're doing in two weeks in New Jersey, the Jersey Fire, it was an event to evangelize to people. And so in about 2007, we actually... I looked to incorporate 2007, 2008, that time frame, to incorporate so that we had a way of of taking um, support so we could pay speakers to come and speak at our at the conference part of that evangelism outreach. And then when I resigned in uh, the pastorate in 2000, uh, I think about 2010, all of a sudden I was getting asked to speak all over the country, and Striving Fraternity became the way of contacting me to do that. And since then, we've we've really transformed it. Um, now it's more known for not only the the Jersey Fire, but we have Ohio Fire and NorCal Fire, where we do these outreaches. It's a conference and then an outreach, but we do online training. We have this Striving Fraternity Academy. We now started seminars where we come into churches and do weekend training, where over one weekend we train people on how to interpret the Bible. And so it's kind of morphed. It it really uh, has has changed over the last few years into what it is today, which is really an online discipleship uh, ministry. So and we do I, I evangelism, really, I, we do apologetics. And, and and you're based in New Jersey. Yeah, don't well, hold I, it against I me. Know till, that's amazing. I didn't know till tonight any Christians were in New Jersey. That's amazing. I did not. Yeah. Well, I think you once were in New Jersey and you moved out, and that um, I escaped. That, that, I escaped, brother. Yeah, that that reduced the Christian count to two, and uh... <laughs> so so you mentioned uh, you mentioned your book. You, you said uh, that had started. That kind of developed over time too. Yeah, well, I mean, as I stated earlier, being from a Jewish background, I often would be asked how to talk to a Jewish person with the gospel, how to explain the gospel to someone who's Jewish and what do Jewish people believe and so I was getting into things like that very often um really after 9/11 is when I really formulated uh a, a lot of stuff because basically the some of the elders at the church where I was at came to me and said look we know how you do research because I like to do original research I don't like to uh, take it from what others say, and so basically, I went out and was asked to to research Islam, and so I started. I got a hold of a couple Qurans in English and started to read them and systematize what they believe. And so, I taught a class on what Islam believes, and then they said, "Hey, well, you're from a Jewish background. Would you kind of do the same thing with Judaism?" I said, "Okay." Yeah. So basically, I I went through with Islam and then with Judaism, and I looked at what's their authority. What is their their view of God, specifically really the Trinity? What's their view of Jesus Christ, specifically his deity? Wanted to know what their view of man was, his sinfulness, and what their view of salvation was. And then lastly, what's their view of end times? So those six categories I looked at within Islam, going through the Quran and some of the Hadiths. And then I did the same thing with Judaism. And uh, as you know, uh, with my background, I used to do a lot of interaction with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, and so they just said, hey, would you continue in with those? And so I taught several Sunday school lessons on those and formatted it the same way, and then I just said, well, I might as well do Roman Catholicism and keep working through the different religions. So did Roman Catholicism, 
and then I said, well, I might as well finish up and I'll try and do Hinduism and Buddhism. And you just had, I had to just stop right there because they don't have an authority. <laughs> so you, you can't well, say they, this is what they believe. You, you kind of can. I mean, don't you have the Vedas with Hinduism? I mean, they got something written well, down, right? They have something written down, but it's not – they don't view it in the same way as an authoritative thing as we would as we would say – for uh, you know, in Christianity we have the Word of God, and therefore that is an absolute. You'd, you'd, the Quran would claim to be the Word of God. Catholicism would claim that, well, you got the Bible and you got the magistrates and you got all these other things that are equal, and so you don't have that really with Hinduism and Buddhism where you can say this is an absolute authority. So, yeah, it's more. It's more. It's more blatantly mystical. Correct. It's yeah. everything's an illusion. So. Yeah. And, and so kind of like, that, I, that's I never like politics. That's kind of like politics in America, but we're not going there tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's all an illusion. <laughs> they they get up and they they tell you things that they, that you think that they think you want to hear. Yeah. And then, and then we as Christians, we continue, we continue to trust them. Uh, we're coming up to a break, and we come back. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Islam down down here in North Carolina, and I'm, I'm sure it's the case in New Jersey. You actually, have some uh, people spending money. I assume is coming in from Saudi Arabia, because uh, I know a lot of Saudi Arabian money has come into the states over the years to build some of these elaborate mosques. But in uh, in North Carolina, in parts of North Carolina, you actually have vans running around. Painted nice uh, with a one eight hundred number or toll free number to give out free Qurans. So I got yeah. another copy of the free Quran uh, about two weeks ago. So we come back after break. Uh, let's talk a little bit about their profit compared to our profit. Sure. How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany, nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism. Nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government. 2 million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. K-I-R-P Radio! So... We talk about Islam. Uh, the growth is obviously, uh, it seems to have been explosive in the states the last couple of years. Uh, what do Christians need to know about Islam? Well, I mean, one thing that people definitely need to know about Islam, and you 
talk about the rise of it in the last few years, a lot of that rise is because Islam is using the same technique that the those who practice homosexuality have used successfully in this country, which is to play the victim card. After 9-11, they claim that they were being victimized because people were targeting them because of their religious belief to a point where we now have public schools that will not let you have Bibles in school, but they will teach what Islam believes. They will allow you to have a Quran. They will let their Muslim students in the middle of class get up to go and do their prayers. And yet if they were a Christian student, they wouldn't be able to pray before a meal. It's, they played the victim card, and that's something that we have to, to recognize what they're doing. Because one of the things you won't see, in Christianity, we had a rise in the Reformation where people stood up and said, no, what the church, the Catholic Church is teaching is wrong. And it was Christians that stood up. Now, we're, I'm using that term Christian broadly in that sense, right. in that time. But it was within that group of people that claimed to be Christian that stood up. And people say, why don't we see that within Islam? Well, a simple, very simple reason. See, Islam, there is no forgiveness of sin other than when you die in a jihad. It's the only way to have forgiveness. And, and that helps people understand why these guys that flew in, built, into planes into buildings in 9-11 they can spend the night before getting lap dances at a strip club. And you say, well, if they're so religious, how could they do this? Because they knew the next day they were going to have all sins forgiven in their own mind. And because of that, they went right into everything that that we would say is evil. And because there's no forgiveness of sin, what happens with these people is they feel guilt, they throw themselves into a religion that only gives them more guilt. And so they try to work harder and harder and harder to remove that guilt. And basically they realize there's no way other than dying in a jihad. And that's what gets them to do what they do. But you won't see a Muslim get up and speak against another Muslim because in the hadiths it says that if you as a Muslim question the behavior of another Muslim or question if another Muslim is a Muslim, by the way, even by the way they're behaving – what you're doing is you're identifying yourself as not being a Muslim. So you won't get a Muslim to stand up and, and condemn other Muslim behavior because that would identify them as not a Muslim. And therefore, is, is, that, is, is the Hadith, is that held by both Sunnis and Shiites? Because we know, like, you know the Iran-Iraq war, obviously there's politics behind that, but Sunnis and Shiites have killed each other for quite some time to both hold to that, and it's just it's just an inconsistency. They they both have different hadiths that they hold to, um, okay. and so they, there's a lot of similarities. The hadiths are supposed to be the the basically the words of Muhammad after he died. Uh, keep in mind that the the Quran was not written down until after Muhammad had died. Um, but what you end up with is a case where they will not speak up against another because if you have Sharia law. One of the other things in the Hadith is you can kill a person under Sharia law that denies the faith. That's why people that convert from from Islam to Christianity, it's a death sentence. That's why baptism is such a major thing in those countries, because it's identifying yourself as no longer Muslim. So if you question another Muslim, you're identifying yourself as a non-Muslim and in, a shri- in an area that is Sharia law, you're basically saying, yeah. I can now have a death sentence on my head. And that's why you, they won't stand up against them. Yeah, I, I know that, and obviously Sharia law, I mean, that's prominent in places like Saudi Arabia, and we won't get into the politics, how that was basically creation of you know the, the UK, they created Saudi Arabia and all that. But we talk about the, the uh, political correctness in the States, which is really cultural Marxism. I, you know, I've talked about that on this show. I don't know if you saw the video. Liberty activist went to uh, around Dearborn, Michigan, some of the heavy, heavily populated Muslim areas, after that uh, the Christian guy lost his business because he wouldn't produce a wedding cake for some homosexuals. And he went to at least five Muslim bakeries, and they wouldn't do it. <laughs> yes. And, and but again, 
because the goal. You goal don't see anyone. Is, you don't see anyone in the political no. correctness crowd no. going Absolutely to not. No. them and wanting no, no. to have their jobs Absolutely removed. Not. Absolutely not. It's all and, about. And what they're it's petitioning for. And this is the thing. Yeah. In America, that people need to understand is that what's happening in Dearborn is just the testing grounds. In in Islam, if you have one mosque, then that nation is a Muslim nation, and so their goal is to convert it. What they're doing in Dearborn is getting enough Muslims in one area to get an introduction, as they did in the UK, of Sharia law, to allow Sharia law courts. And the insanity of it, there was a case in the UK where a woman was married to a Muslim, and what happened was is he was beating her, which is okay in Sharia law. He can beat his wife. She wanted to divorce him, and she took him to court to divorce her husband. But because he was a Muslim, she was not... The court said you have to go to a Sharia law court, and they defaulted it. And the Sharia law court said there's no law broken, and she she basically had to just leave, getting absolutely nothing. No, no, because they handed it over to the Sharia law court. No, I I believe you again. I don't want to get into the politics through the focus of the show tonight on you know the nature of Christ and difference between uh, between Christianity and non-Christian religions. A lot of those things those things happen in the UK just like here because they want to foment. They want to foment a division and hatred. Now, obviously, there's some Muslims that are radical, but again, the West controls all of this. The West, they know, obviously, in the U.S., we know who enters the country. They know who've entered the country in the U.K., so they create this anarchy, and their goal is always order out of chaos. They want to basically break down the social order. So in order to do that, in order to get a new, a new social order, you have to basically cause a whole lot of disruption now and that's, I mean that's what they're doing it's not it's not by fit it's not like oh well this just happened you know they want this to happen this is what they want but getting getting back to the differences how would you say what are the main differences when we talk about the person and work of Christ between Christianity and Islam well okay so in Islam when you look at who Jesus Christ is he's a prophet it is very interesting that the Quran actually speaks more of Jesus than it does Muhammad so what you have in Islam is you have a, a Quran that was given over time. In the early chapters, the Quran would say, trust the people of the book. That would be the Jews and the Christians. But later, it starts to say that the, the Bible was corrupted. And so they would say that the Christians corrupted what God's Word said into believing that Jesus was God. They would believe he was a prophet. Therefore, he was never crucified, because they, would, they say that a prophet can't be crucified. And so, what in Islam, what Allah did was Allah put a look-alike on the cross. Someone that looked like Jesus. And what you have there is basically them admitting that their God is a deceiver. In fact, there is a Quran verse that says that Allah is the great deceiver. Now, they try to say that that's a positive thing, but it points out that their God will deceive their own followers. In fact, their Quran will say that what you and I believe, Rocco, as Christians, is we believe in a trinity, the Father, the Mother, and the Son. We would look at that and go, "Uh, no, it's the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But in their thinking, they think that this is what Christianity believes, that Mary is God. And so when you look at that, it's a very different Jesus. They have a Jesus that was just a man who wasn't crucified. He was virgin-born, and he did do many miracles, uh, where Muhammad did not. But he was just a man. And they have a wrong view of the Trinity. They have a wrong view of the Bible, because they think that the Bible was corrupted. It's actually an interesting thing if you speak to Muslims. You can ask them. They believe that the Bible was first written by Moses and then got corrupted, and then David and then got corrupted, and then Jesus, who never wrote the Bible, but and then got corrupted. And then Muhammad wrote, and that didn't get corrupted. And I mean, just logically, any critical thinking type person would say, well, if God couldn't keep his word from being corrupted... The, the previous three times, why would we trust the fourth? Especially when we look at Islamic history and realize that the third caliph, Caliph Umbra, had when they first started writing down the Quran, he called an edict to collect all of the Qurans that were being written down so that they could have one 
proper Quran. So he put an edict to burn what he called all the abhorrent texts. So simple question, how do you know he burned the right ones? I mean, if God couldn't keep his word from being corrupted the other three times, what would make someone think, since history tells us that they did collect them and they had to burn some of them, it means there was different copies. Well, they burned them and said, this is the right one. How do, they, how do we know? Because we don't have those other ones anymore to look at to see if those were really the right ones. And so just when you apply logic to it, it has inherent problems. The, the Quran would say that the Bible that you and I hold to cannot change, that God's word cannot change. But then later it says it was corrupted. Well, which is it? Did it not change or did it change, right? You've got to have one of the two. But because they don't have a right view of Jesus Christ, they don't have a right view of salvation. You see, they would say that we put, we're going to trust Allah, the most merciful, that he is going to forgive us of our sins based on our good works. And if you do one good work, it outweighs ten sins. And so they're going to trust a, their good works and Allah's mercy. And see, you and I as Christians would say, well, God is merciful. The problem is he's also just. And being just, he must punish sinners. Now, how do we get a reconciliation of his justice and mercy? Well, we, we find reconciliation of that in the cross. See, in the cross, we have God himself giving the justice by punishing Himself on that cross, Jesus Christ. That was justice. But the mercy was that he offers it to us. See, Islam doesn't have that. And that's something that's essential because people have to realize this is why they do what they do. They, they, Andrew, you there? I think Andrew was talking about Islam and some of the key differences uh, between Islam and Christianity, uh, key differences in the nature of Jesus. In the Bible, Jesus is fully man and fully God. Uh, the Bible teaches the virgin birth, the virgin conception of Lord Jesus. Uh, Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. That was a miracle, a unique miracle, never had been never happened before, would never be repeated again. And that established Christ having two natures, fully man, fully God. Then, in addition to that, uh, we have uh, the idea that Christ being fully God then, as Andrew said, could be the substitutionary atonement. He could provide forgiveness for sins, only he could, because he was sinless. And Islam then reduces Jesus to a prophet and a man who's a sinner. Christianity says Jesus' death was substitutionary. That was proven by his bodily resurrection. He was risen. Uh, he was uh, glorified, never to die again. Islam denies the resurrection, the body of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So all those cardinal doctrines, all, all, all those really super important doctrines about what constitutes Christianity and the nature of Christ, fully God, fully man, he was sinless, died a substitutionary death, literally shed his blood, proven who he was because he rose from the dead, all that's denied by Islam. Uh, you back there, Andrew, or not? Okay. I, I'm back. Okay. So those are, difference, those are some of the differences, key differences between Christianity and Islam. And, of course, there's a variety there's different versions of Islam. I, I think. I mean, in the political scene, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of misrepresentation. They want to uh, they want to make it appear. I think that all all Muslims are radical. And obviously, it's not even in the Muslim world. In a country like Turkey, it's very different than Saudi Arabia, where you have Sharia law. Uh, but in spite of those differences, you just go back. You just look at this, the basic spiritual message of the Bible. Uh, uh, you, you can't reconcile the two. And Muslims, again, for a variety of reasons, uh, clearly, clearly in the Western world, clearly now in the States, uh, they're very aggressive, very evangelistic. In, in your book, did you talk about uh, some of the people knocking on doors like Jehovah's Witnesses? 
I did. And one of the things in the book that um, I do different is I'm trying to do a systematic theology of mm-hmm. these different religions. So I'm not, I'm not writing a refutation to them. And I'm not trying to mm-hmm. do an introduction to world religions where you're dealing with a hundred different religions and trying to give their foundation and just a tidbit of information about them. But it's actually trying to give from their sources what they mm-hmm. believe. And so I dealt with Jehovah's Witnesses. I've dealt with uh, the Mormons, the Latter-day Jesus Christ, the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. And you see a very um, – the Latter-day Saints, if you have someone say they're a Latter-day Saint versus a Mormon, you'll know you're dealing with a different type of person. They're going to look to deceive you into believing that they're a Christian just like you. They're going to use the same language. And if you have had the knock on your door – as they're very aggressive recently, the Jehovah's Witnesses have created a new website. And with that, they're being very aggressive. They've removed a lot of, really, their real teachings from there. <laughs> and took a page out of the Mormon playbook. And they are now trying to present themselves as Christians. And they want yeah. you to think that they're a Christian just like you. Yeah, that that's interesting. I, I I know they were changing some of their tactics. I'll share a little bit about that. But in the past, and in, in when uh, I had I had uh, dealt with them and explained the gospel, they were always very open that they were anti-trinitarian. Uh, they didn't believe in the deity of Jesus. So now you're saying now they're marketing it more like a Mormon, where they want to basically say we're all the same. They're just a little different. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Down here, and, I don't know if you go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. You were going to say something. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say that it's it's a their their technique hasn't been working. You know, there's so many people that now understand what they believe and what's wrong with it that they're having to pretend to be like Christians to appeal to the person that maybe was raised in a uh, going to church but doesn't understand Christianity. In in uh, North Carolina, I don't know if you've seen this this tactic up near you. If you heard about it, I just found out about this because I was uh, it was funny. I was targeted. Uh, they they're basically they're appealing to I guess the people are transient and also the people want to appeal with uh, you know their subcultural groups. And because my name is really Italian, in public records they found out where I lived and uh, they knocked on my door and they said, hey, you know we have. Uh, you know, we have an Italian assembly. I said, ah, oh, that's yeah, you know, that's really interesting. You know, what <laughs> what do you believe? And uh, you know, used to say they didn't. Uh, that that particular couple didn't come back, but another did show up. Believe it or not, in spite of what I said, they didn't clear out their database, and someone showed up about a month later at the same tactic. Hey, uh, do you speak Italian? You know, we have an Italian assembly. Have you heard of that up in New Jersey? Are they doing that? Well, see, well, one of the things I haven't seen that. But it's, yeah. it would, it's kind of hard because what they would what they used to do is they would bypass my house after they found out. Because I, whenever <laughs> I move, I actually call up and, and I, I ask for a Book of Mormon to be sent to me or I ask for literature to be sent to me. And so they'll send someone for me to evangelize. And huh. they start bypassing my house. And what I started doing uh, when I moved into the neighborhood I'm at now, uh, they would come out weekly to my neighborhood. And once they realized who I was, they started avoiding the house. So when I would see him come down on Saturday mornings, I would grab my Bible, and I would just go follow him. And as they would go house to house, they'd look at me, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just going to explain the truth that, you know, to my neighbors when you start lying to them. So go ahead. And as they knock on the door and start trying to explain things, I would just be like, uh, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible calls Jesus God. <laughs> and I would just correct it. And so they eventually started to uh, stop coming down my whole street altogether. <laughs> That's a novel approach. I mean, it's, you take the time. That's a, that's, that's, that's a good approach. Well, yeah. what, what are the main differences one, again? A, Go ahead. Well, the, the main difference, again, they're going to deny the deity of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there, you know, there's one thing that you're going to see, whether it is in Judaism, in Islam, Roman Catholicism, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, even Hinduism, Buddhism, in any of these, there's one thing you're going to see that's universally true for every one of these religions that you don't see in Christianity. And that is every one of them have a belief that we have an absolute free will that allows us to do good works. And that those good works 
will overcome any bad works that we do. Every one of those religions will see that the ultimate way to get right with God is good works. And that's what sets Christianity apart because we, we know that the religion established by God is done by divine work. And so they're going to go knocking on your door because they have to earn their way to salvation. And so they have to, to go out and tell you about the watchtower because that's how they earn their salvation. In their view, Jesus Christ was an angel, Michael, who became a man, Jesus Christ, and was resurrected, not bodily, but as back into the spirit world as an angel. And so they would not believe that he was God. They would not believe in a, in a literal, eternal hell. That removes the need for Jesus to have to be eternal because we would see that Jesus was eternal, paying an eternal fine, and he has to be an eternal being to pay the eternal fine. Therefore, he would, he's God. They remove the etern, eternality of hell, then, but they're left with the question, why did Jesus die then? What purpose does it serve to have an angel become a man and die in our place? He's just a temporal being. He, his, his death it does not do anything. And that's a struggle that they end up having. And that they also heard, you hinted at this, to, to annihilationism, right? They believe that when you die, then I guess you're not one of the 144,000, you just fade away. Yeah, they, they believe there may be a time a punishment, possibly. It wouldn't last forever, but you would be consumed and then just go out of existence. Um, so there is some differences that some hold to with that. Because typically, the you know, in the early years of Jehovah's Witness, it was that they believed that you died and you either were resurrected into new life or just went out of existence. And I have been, as I've been talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, I've been hearing a change in that. And uh, so that's been something I think that they're they're working their way through in their doctrine. What what are uh, uh... What's the main differences with uh, Mormonism and Christianity? Well, Mormonism is science fiction. <laughs> um, but it's not have, science. <laughs> it's not science, yeah. It's, it's, it really, you know, you read the Book of Mormon and uh, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and you'd think you're reading a, a science fiction type novel. Um, you have a Jesus Christ who is the brother of Lucifer, who are working their ways to be God of their own. God the Father is was once a man like you and I, and he became God. And in doing so, he got his own planet that he can have, and on that planet he can create uh, a new being that would be able to fulfill, you know, fill that planet. And so they believe that... Um, in a very, very different Jesus. A Jesus who was a man and worked, is working his way to Godhead. Um, and there's a famous quote that they have that says that as you are, God once was. As God is, you could be. And that's really trying to show that the idea that God was a man and could be and became God, and you too, as a man, could become God. Very different from Christianity. But it is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Satan said, hey, hey be careful. God knows that you would be like him if you eat of this with the knowledge of good and evil. So, so what do they believe? I know it is, it is like, uh, like you said, Science fiction. What what do they believe as far as uh, salvation and, and uh, the future? Well, they're they're going to believe in a salvation of works. Um, they're going to hold to when it comes to end times. It's, it, it is it is an interesting thing that they have when it comes to salvation because their salvation not only through works but they are very well known for looking into uh, ancestry because they believe in baptizing for the dead. They believe that, that they would be able to bat, get baptized, and that will get someone who's already dead to be able to enter into new life. And so that's kind of something very different. Uh, as I said, with our view of 
of the eternal state is that they become gods. But it is very clear that you can see this is a man-made religion. And I'm saying that, not just saying man as human beings, but man versus woman. Because when you look at what heaven is for the man, he's going to have multiple wives that he's just going to impregnate, and they're going to fill the earth or their earth, whatever planet they get, going to fill that planet for all of eternity. So very much like Islam, it's, it's, they get everything that is supposed to be wrong in, in, in their religion uh, is what they look forward to. Uh, you know, having you know, multiple wives is something that's very, uh, it was very common within Mormonism. You you touched on I know that and that's uh that's interesting. I said in the beginning I wasn't gonna talk about marriage, but when Utah entered the Union, entered the United States, that was a trade off at the time they had to make. The Mormons had to agree to get rid of polygamy and of course some had practiced it underground and there's offshoot groups that have but that'll probably be the next battle I think. Uh in the courts is that they'll probably try and get plural marriage or polygamy accepted. Well, you, Getting you back already to the, have it. Uh, the, there's a guy who has some TV show called Sister Wives, uh-huh. um, where he's, I guess, really married to one of them, but they all, he has relations with all of them, so they all call themselves uh-huh. his wives. He's actually suing under the redefinition of marriage to argue that um, he he should be able to be married to all of his wives. And so they are uh, testing it. Um, yeah, that's, that's see, what now we here need in New is, Jersey, we don't worry we about need reality. Wives. We have a we have a guy here in New Jersey suing so he can marry his biological daughter. So that's what we deal with here in New Jersey. Yeah, well, New, New Jersey's always set the trend for degeneracy, in my opinion. But that's what we need. We need reality. <laughs> we, we need reality to show morality in the country. That's what we need. Getting back to baptism, you were for born the in dead. New Jersey, weren't you? But I escaped. Uh, getting back to baptism <laughs> for the dead. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't the Mormons, I mean, they take this really serious and they'll be baptized, the same person may be baptized you know, many, many times. And they have these detailed genealogical records, don't they, about this? Oh, yeah. That's why you know, anyone that does studies into looking at their their family history, you'll end up at, at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because they keep very detailed records because they're looking to get baptized so that all of their ancestors can get into heaven. Um, basically, they believe they believe that everyone will get to heaven except for well, people like you and I that teach against the Latter Day Saints. Uh, they believe there's three levels of heaven, and that they're gonna most people go to one of the three levels, and they're getting baptized to get their family members in a, in a higher level. Now, now when they say heaven again, you touched on this before. They believe in this preposterous idea about. Like if you physically procreate, then you spiritually procreate, right? Something like that. Yeah, they're they're more so that if you if you're who you're married to, you can have multiple wives, so that those are your wives in your next life, and they will spiritually procreate, and those spiritual procreations will become uh, physical procreations on the on your planet that you get to rule. So. Is that the motivation? Like they try and use in their marketing that they're that they're you know they're they're strong advocates of the family. And I know you're familiar with that you know the old documentary, The Godmakers. I know the suicide rate you know was really high in Mormon areas. But is that part of the reason why they push big families? I think so. I do think so. I think that that is the family is a major part of this uh, persona that they put on. But a lot of it's tied to, yeah, that this this what they think is going to happen in the future as far as the spiritual creation, procreation, all that, and other planets and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's essential. I mean, it's an essential doctrine to what they believe. <clears throat> yeah, they don't tell you that when they knock on your doors. Uh, <laughs> no, because the, they want you to think they're a Christian, like you. You mentioned this before, and I remember years ago when I studied the cults, I had gotten a good book. Uh, one of the first books I got was by the Wazoo Brothers. I think they've also since left New Jersey, but they printed a lot of good stuff. A lot, they, they print a lot of good stuff by uh, some of the um, some Plymouth Brethren, H. Aaron Sinal. There's a book they published called Modern Heresies Exposed, 
and that was originally published in the early 20th century. And in that book, that included Catholicism. Yet later on, we look at the so-called occult uh, experts, Walter Martin and all Kingdom of the Cults. They start to deviate then and not consider Roman Catholicism a cult. Have you noticed that? Um, there, yeah, there's there's a bunch of people that are trying to, and, and really, I personally think it came when, you know, Billy Graham, Mitt Romney is running for president, goes to visit Billy Graham, and it's like all of a sudden, hey, they're not a cult, they're like us. Um, you know, I, I think that's more with the motivation behind some of that. Well, well, let's see. Apart from uh, apart from Romney, though, I'm saying Catholicism. I mean, you go back to the Reformation. You know, there was clear lines drawn where you know the reformers got back to a biblical view of salvation, and you know, and you know the gospel went out, and there was a clear line between okay, salvation by grace through faith. And as you mentioned before, with m- most of these groups, it comes down to at the end of the day, it works. And that's what it was with Catholicism, where officially they would say, you're saved in a variety of ways, of sacramental grace and all this, but still, it's still contingent. Part of it is upon your, your works. They'll say, yeah, faith's in there, but it's faith in good works. So to me as a Christian, it's really disturbing that you've had these so-called apolo- apologetical ministries. It was Walter Martin and now it's Hank Hanegraaff. And for years, they've basically presented really uh, an aberrational, a non, uh, a, a point of view that's outside the bounds of Christian orthodoxy, namely Catholicism isn't, uh, it isn't a false religion, it just has some problems. I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, I mean, you saw that with Catholics and Evangelicals together, where they're they're doing the same thing. I mean, that's really the playbook that the, the, the Mormons used and then the, now the Jehovah's Witnesses are using, where they are hey, we don't want to define, we believe in salvation by faith. We believe in justification. Let's just not define it further than that. Because when we dig deeper, we disagree. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really is heresy. I mean, for years, and I know I, I know you, you had to have, uh, you had to have seen Chuck Colson wrote the book Born Again. He had worked for uh, Jimmy Carter, made a profession of faith. I don't know if, when he was in prison or not. And it was the, it was the it first is, book I read as a Christian. Okay, there you go. And yeah, his wife was devout practicing Roman Catholic, and Coulson basically said he got the the, the, you know, the title of that book while he was attending mass with her. So this really is under attack. I mean, we see we see a handful of people today in the evangelical world. You got John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul. There's some people that will defend the Bible without apology against Catholicism. But uh, a lot of people have uh, they've abdicated their responsibility. They just uh, they just want to pretend that uh, yeah. And there's different obviously there's different reasons why people compromise. God knows their motives. But I mean, you know they're wrong. I mean they're wrong biblically. Uh, they're outside you know the you know the balance of historic orthodoxy to say well Catholicism isn't it's not a false gospel. It just has some problems. I mean, that's, yeah, it's absurd. <coughs> Yeah, it is. So, so, so what's uh, what's your website and and uh, what's the name of your web, book again? Where the, can we get it? The website is strivingforeternity.org, all spelled out, and it is uh, the book is called is what do they believe? It is on the website for I think uh, the store has it for fifteen dollars. It's also available on Kindle, and I think there's still maybe a sale going on. Have a couple more days till the end of this month. The sale on Kindle, I think, is for three dollars or two ninety nine, something like that. Nice. And then their information. You mentioned the uh, next conference is Jersey Fire. Jersey Fire is in two weeks, and that is uh, it's going to be in Tom's River, New Jersey. And, and then we you can go to JerseyFire.org. JerseyFire.org to get all that information. Awesome. Well, before we shut it down, Andrew, anything else you'd like to uh, say? I deeply appreciate your time and uh, yeah, how the Lord's using you. Anything else you'd like to say? Well, I'd, I would say when you know when you study through religions, the, the thing that I come across with is the fact that what makes Christianity unique is the only one where God did the work, not man. And Amen. that's what makes it 
different and separate. And that's the thing that, as Christians, we need to know. Uh, we have a God who, he is the one who paid the price for us. I thank you very much for having me on, and it was great great discussing different religions with you. No, thanks. I appreciate you saying at the end, it's all of grace. Uh, and uh, if it's all of God, it's all of grace, then we cannot take the credit. Some theologians who say our faith is non-meritorious because God gets all the glory. Thank you, Andrew. Hope to, hope to talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. K-I-R-P Radio! been another episode of KIRP Radio. Last Sunday's with Rocco P. Thank you for listening. I will be back next month. Take care.